episode 118 of Offscript with Trish Close, intimate interviews with interesting people. And joining me today via Zoom, there's a fun story behind this. I have Eric Shannon, the owner of Big Barker, which is real beds for big dogs. Hi, Eric. Hello. Okay, so I usually do these via Skype. So we called you up on Skype and uh, you were getting some horrible feedback in your ear. Yep. And I don't know if anyone out there knows, when you're hearing yourself after you've, say, you've said something, it's incredibly distracting. You can't think straight. You can't tell a story. So um, after, what has it been, 30 minutes of trying Close to- Close to half an hour, yeah. <laughs> and multiple devices. We went from computer to iPad to AirPod to all over the place. Quite we the did. journey, but we did it. I want to say thank you to our engineer here at KTVL, Ross, for rolling with it and just trying to make this uh, interview happen. This is not an ad for Zoom, but thank you, Zoom, for working this morning for all parties involved. Yes, right. and thank you, Ross. So, Eric, um, I I know who you are because I have one of the beds from your company. A big, Actually, I have two. I have an nice. Italian Mastiff at home, and then... I have a rescue who we we think he's part pit bull, part jackrabbit. We're not quite sure, um, but we have two big Barker beds. We absolutely love them. We're in love with them, Excellent. and so are our dogs. That's awesome. Appreciate We're going to talk it. a lot about your company, how you got this idea, how you started it, all that good stuff. First of all, though, where are you from originally? So originally from Lansdale, Pennsylvania, which is about forty-five minutes outside of Philadelphia, which is where I live today. Okay, and you grew up there. Uh, yeah, grew up in Lansdale, went to North Penn High School out there and went to college in Philadelphia. Moved to California for a couple of years, but other than that, I've been in Philadelphia area my whole life. Okay. What was it like growing up? Did you say Lan Lansdale? Yeah, Lansdale. Okay. What was it's it great. like growing up in Lansdale? So Lansdale is a typical suburb. Um, a lot of my best friends now are friends I went to, to high school with or worked at at the nursing home. Uh, that we used to all work at together back then. But I love Lansdale. It's a great, great suburb. Um, lots of benefits to living in Lansdale. Like it's um, some odd things such as we don't really get cavities when we're from Lansdale. Uh, it's most Landalians, Lansdaleans don't get cavities. Uh, a lot of us have um, wait, sensitivity. Wait, wait. To Why? Why don't you get cavities? I, I don't know. It might be something in the water. I don't know. Okay. It's very, um, it's very, it's a nice thing about growing up there. Okay, nice teeth. Might not be true. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's, it was a good place to grow up. Fantastic. What, uh, sorry, before I ask this next question, you said you and your friends worked at a nursing home? Oh yeah. North Penn convalescent residence. Most like of my best teenager? friends. Yeah. When I was, I started when I was 15, uh, it was a bunch of 15 and 16 year olds working in the kitchen. Uh, basically we just kind of put food on trays. We made coffee. We would clean trash cans. It was the, the best job I've ever had in my life. It was so much fun. We worked for two and a half hours a day. And it was a, yeah, it was a blast. And we would just clean plates and that sort of thing. So, you know, at 15, I think I wanted to, I was babysitting and I wanted a job at Chili's really bad because <laughs> I got free burgers. Why a nursing home? Well, because my buddy Pete Sparks worked there. His mom worked there and got him a job there. And then he got other people jobs there and we all kind of ended up working there. And a lot of them worked there all through college too. I was there for three years in high school. And that was kind of my 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 end days at the nursing home. Oh, Pete. But I would go back today. I would love to go back and work at the nursing home with all those guys again. We'd show up in our white sweatpants and, and blue shirts and just start breaking down uh, dirty food trays. <laughs> I would love it. What was what was so great about this job? Was because you were with your buddies or it was easy? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think like it's, it's that period of life, like 
10th, 11th, 12th grade, where you really form your best friendships. You're kind of like learning what the world is like and you're having all these new experiences. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you see your friends in school, but when you're also working together, you just spend more time together. And we goofed off quite a bit uh, at that job. They, they weren't exactly cracking the whip on us. Gotcha. So it was just it was really fun. Did you ever talk to any of the residents there one-on-one? Like, did you make any friends there with the residents or were they not able to talk? So it depended on what floor you're on. Okay. Um, but the first floor, yeah, a lot of them were, were very friendly and like liked seeing these, these teenagers around and would talk sure, to us and sure. tell us. Yeah, it was mostly the nurses that um, would come down and hang out with us. Like back then you still had smoke break rooms and stuff, mm. which were down in the basement with the kitchen. And yeah, we hung out with all the nurses and uh, we had a good time. When you say you hung out with all the nurses, were these like cute nurses or not cute nurses? Oh, they would, they would. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I wouldn't say one or the other necessarily. Um, yeah, they just yelled at us a That's lot. Okay. And it was. I'm yeah. just curious. <laughs> I was just curious. So let's get back to growing up um, kind of childhood. What, what did parents do? So my father was a hospital executive mm-hmm. and my mother worked for Merck, which is a pharmaceutical company. She okay. had um, several different positions, but the Merck's headquarters was, or not their headquarters, but their biggest location was in Lansdale. So a lot of people from that area work at Merck. Did you grow up with siblings? Uh, I have two younger brothers, okay. uh, one two years younger, one six years younger, yeah. I was gonna guess that you were the oldest. I am, yes. <laughs> why, would you, why would you guess that? Because you're an entrepreneur. Yes, kind that is true, a, which is type A personality. Yes, which is not normal for my family. My family is, uh, you're the same way. Oh, no, I'm just, I'm good at guessing this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was, that was good. Yeah. And, and my family is not really an entrepreneur type family either. Uh, you know, my parents are both very, had defined career paths and, and they both did great in the more of a corporate environment. Uh, my younger brother is uh, also, uh, he works for Pfizer, very, very successful in sort of that corporate structure. And then you have me who um, didn't really go that route. And when I quit my job back in 2006, uh, oh, they were freaking out. My, my mother was very, very concerned that it was not going to work out for me. But okay. um, she had faith. I, I want to I talk about that. But first, um, speaking of childhood, you actually grew up afraid of dogs. Oh, I was petrified of dogs. Yeah. When I would go to visit uh, my friend's house, especially my my good friend, whose name was uh, still is 218 was his name. He had a husky named Abigail. I was terrified of Abigail. His mother used to have to lock Abigail like in a different part of the house because I just wouldn't walk in like because she would jump. And I was just worried that those big teeth were going to like gnash my face apart. Mm-hmm. Even friendliest dog in the world. I was just terrified of her. And even small dogs, like little shit zoos or Yorkies, if they were coming towards me on the sidewalk, I would cross the street because I just imagined they had these little fangs that wanted to pierce into my my shin. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not a dog guy until I was probably 24, 25. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually afraid of, of little dogs. They're, I don't trust little <laughs> dogs at all. I trust big, big dogs way more. Um, did something happen to make you afraid of dogs or just Absolutely nothing happened. Huh. <laughs> Not a single thing. I don't know why. We, did, we didn't have pets growing up. Right. Uh, maybe that had something to do with it. I just didn't really see, not just dogs, but cats as well. I just didn't see them in home environments uh, or my own home environment. So no, something about them, just their teeth. Their teeth and their unpredictable nature is, yeah. is how I saw them. That's, I grew up with dogs, and but I do remember very young, I think I was six, 
I actually was chased and bitten by a dog, and you would think that would, you know, deter me from whatever. I, I love I love dogs, even cats. Like I'll pick up a cat and it'll scratch me, and I'm just like, I love you. Um, but I have that weird sort of personality. And so, you were actually afraid of dogs. You said until 24. Yeah, about that age. Yeah, when okay. I was living in California. Mm -hmm. We're gonna talk about that. Um, but first, I do want to talk about high school, and then what came after high school? Did you go to Did you go to college? Uh, I did um, several times. <laughs> the first couple <laughs> times, not so successfully. So, yeah, I, times I, um, did I did go to college. Did you not know? Like, were you having trouble figuring out what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, and I didn't really want to be there either. Like, I went because I felt I was supposed to go, uh, and I just kept. I would go for a semester, then I wouldn't go, and then I would go for a bit, and then I wouldn't go for a bit. So I really didn't start college until I was basically a 21-year-old freshman. Wow. Um, I was so far behind uh, just because I, I just wasn't into it until I got to be about 21 years old. And at that point, I had been working full-time for a while and saw, you know what, this doesn't really get me where I want to go. It's time to take college seriously. So yeah, I went back when I was 21 to Temple University here in Philadelphia. And I just took as many classes as I could each semester and summer breaks, winter breaks, et cetera. So I ended up finishing in three years and I was a finance major. Gotcha. Well, I'm sure a successful mom and dad, that's what you do, right? When you graduate, you go to school. And it's that mentality I think we have pretty much everywhere. I talk about this a lot, actually. College isn't for everybody, you know? Like when you're 18 years old, how do you know what you're supposed to do? Yeah, I know. And then when you go to these college campuses on these tours, when you're 18, what are you really looking at? I mean, you're looking at like the campuses and oh, this looks like a nice campus. Oh, this school has a good reputation. Oh, these these kids that I see walking around, those look like kids that I'd want to be friends with. It's not really a logic-based decision when you're 18. Um, it's it's really a, I don't know, I, you can see how you wind up in debt so easily because you're supposed to do it. It's very appealing as you're walking around the campuses. And, uh, and I think you're right, I don't think I don't think it's really needed for so many things in life. I wouldn't say I necessarily needed it in my life mm -hmm. um, other than as sort of a milestone. Mm -hmm. What changed for you at 21 that you said, okay, I got to get serious? Because I, so I had a summer job in college. I was uh, uh, basically doing pretty much telemarketing, but calling like businesses and selling newsletters to the CFO and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was pretty good at it. And they asked me to be in the management training program. So I did that for a year. So I com took, completely took off school for a year and entered that training program, which was actually really helpful. I learned more there than I did in anything in college. But after doing it for a year and working a ton of hours and kind of seeing, well, this is a pretty good job, but there's really not a lot of money here and there's really nowhere to go. And at that point, I started getting interested in the stock market and investing and um, so I kind of found something I was interested in. At the time, I thought I wanted to be uh, an investment banker or something like that. So I went back to school with that in mind and just really attacked it. Okay. So let's talk about Hank. Mm -hmm. When do you meet yeah. Hank? So Hank, let me tilt my camera up. So that's that's him up on the wall. Okay. So Hank was not my first dog. Okay. Hank was my second dog. My first dog was named Phyllis. <laughs> so when I lived in California, I had a lady friend at the time. And um, one day I just said, hey, let's get a puppy. Uh, I was scared of dogs until the moment I, I said that. I said, let's get a puppy. So we got a, a chocolate lab named Phyllis, who was 
great. She was like an English bulldog. She was like a little tank at the dog park. So much fun. I loved Phyllis. But then we went our separate ways. I moved back to Philly. She kept the dog. She took the and, dog in the breakup? Yeah, but it was I, with my blessing, though, because okay. I was the one that moved to Philadelphia. So it was only right that I did not take the dog with me. So, um, yeah, I was just missing Phyllis. And one day I came home from work and said, all right, I want to get a dog. Uh, so <laughs> I forget where I actually initially found him, but it was one of these situations where somebody had a pet dog that got knocked up by accident uh -huh. and they were, you know, looking to get rid of them, probably going to give them to a rescue or something if they didn't, if somebody didn't take them. So I, they sent me a picture and there was three dogs. Two of them looked exactly like little labs. Uh, one was a yellow lab, one was a black lab. And then when there was this weirder looking dog, um, one of the three. So I drove down, uh, it was Cape May, New Jersey, drove about two hours and I was going to pick up the little yellow lab. Mm -hmm. But we get there and the yellow lab, the black lab come right up to us and, and they're jumping on my lap, they wanna play. And then a couple seconds later I hear thump, 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 thump. And I see this dog that's like twice the size of his brothers and his, his chest is so big, it's like knocking on every step as he comes down. He does a sprint around doesn't care that I'm there. He plows into his one brother, sends him flying. Plows into his other brother, sends him flying. Stops, looks at somebody. I don't know if it was me, but and then he just starts walking and peeing at the same time, doing like these loop-de-loop -loop pee trails all over the carpet. And I just got such a kick out of this dog. I'm like, that's Hank. That's him. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was how I met him. Uh, I knew from the time I picked him that he was going to be a handful, and he absolutely was <laughs> a handful. He delivered. But, um, he did deliver. And they told me he was part lab and part Basenji. Now, I didn't even know what a Basenji was. I did some quick research before I went down there. And Basenji apparently is the African barkless dog. They grow to be about 30, 35 pounds. So I figured, okay, half lab, half Basenji, maybe a 40 or 50 pound dog at the most. Um, but he ended up just blowing up to 92 pounds, like no fat on him either. I mean, he was a solid, he was a Doberman sized dog who just looked like a hyena. So he was a, a strange looking dude with a interesting personality. And he was, yeah, he was my bud for 13 years. 13 years. Oh, Hank. So, yeah. cause I know, I know that feeling of owning a dog and looking into their eyes and not loving anything more than this creature in front of you. What was it about Phyllis and then Hank that, cause that those two dogs clearly made you a dog lover, right? Yeah. Yes. So with Phyllis, it was more about, she was an easy puppy. Like she was just a happy go lucky dog who was, had the best time at the dog park. And with her, I only had her for about a year. So it was just the experience of like doing things with a puppy, going to the dog park, bringing her along on errands. Like it was just my first time like of life with a dog. Hank was different because that was a dog where there was challenges, not just with him, but like challenges in my life at the time. I think that's part of the bonding of a dog is when you have difficult times for yourself and the dog is there by your side during them. That's where I feel you really have that attachment. So with Hank, he had some health problems at the beginning with his hip uh, to where he, he was diagnosed with hip dysplasia when he was less than a year old. And it was pretty bad for a little bit when he'd run hard, he'd then hop on three legs for a few hours and um, it was a little, little tough, but then even me. So I, you know, it was a period where I quit my job and I was unemployed for a little bit, but he was right there with me. I moved to the city by myself and it was just me and him for a while. Like all these new experiences, there was 
business uh, ups and downs and he was always right there. So just 13 years of your life um, with a dog is it's hard to not be completely attached by the end. A thousand percent. Really quickly, why'd you quit your job? Not happy? Oh, I hated it. Yeah, I worked for Bank of America um, and it was not what I wanted to be doing. It was just kind of where I ended up. And um, I, this would have been 2004, 2005. Okay. I started learning about internet stuff back then, um, mainly search engine advertising and things like that. And I would work at Bank of America during the day. I'd come home at night and I'd start like buying ads on Google and sending traffic to these crazy website selling ebooks about growing bonsai trees. And the whole idea was, okay, can I spend a dollar on Google and, you know, have it turn into a dollar 20. And I just found that world so fascinating. That's why I quit my job. I was like, I, I was starting to make a few dollars doing internet stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, all right, I'm just going to quit my job and see if I can make something happen here. Interesting. I hear that a lot from people who are in a job, whether it's in the corporate world or whatever, and they find their passion or they find kind of that thing that they want to do. And then that becomes the only thing that they can focus on. And their day job is just that a day job. Absolutely. And, and, and like when you, when I would pull back and think about what is this thing I'm so obsessed with, it was things like, wow, I made $6 today. Um, you know, uh, promoting DVD players on Best Buy today. And like that in and of itself is sounds dumb. It's like, okay, $6 Best Buy DVD players, who cares? But it was just the idea of creating something out of nothing and trying to figure out patterns and systems that I just became completely obsessed with. Interesting. Well, let's get back to Hank and that bad news that you got uh, about his hip. And mm -hmm. I've been there obviously with, with big dogs, having big dogs. And they basically say, you have to do everything you can to make them comfortable and so they don't you know use this hip too much whether that's weight loss or yep. supplements or whatever what were you doing for hank to make sure he was in the best health he could be so i didn't really know anything back then i was 28 maybe at mm -hmm. the time um and but i i never forgot what the vet told me like he just it was just three things he's like okay he may or may not need a hip replacement when he gets older he might he might not i don't know but if you want to minimize the chance that happens, just do a couple of things. One, make sure you keep his weight down. If anything, it's better if he's underweight by a couple pounds. Second, limit the high impact stuff. So don't be throwing tennis balls for hours a day because that's going to just create more wear and tear. And the third thing he said was just get him a comfortable bed, uh, a bed that you know he can rest on and that'll keep some some wear and tear off the joints as well. And that was something that um, the first two were easy, made sense. The third thing I wasn't really expecting to hear, but I thought, okay, that makes sense too. You know, if you're a human and you have a bad back, certainly you want to get a good bed. And I figured it was the same kind of thing. And that just kind of stuck with me. And that's what eventually got me into the dog bed business in 2006. Well, let's talk about that. So you actually had, you had a company before Big Barker, yeah. right? Um, mm -hmm. Remind mm -hmm. me of the name of that company. So the company's not around anymore. It's right. called, it was called Oh My Dog Supply. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea was, the, the idea with Oh My Dog Supply, it started with the dog bed thing. So I remember when I was looking for a bed back then in 2005 or so, I'd go to the pet store and be touching these beds and say, is this a good bed? I don't know, maybe. And then I would look online and try to find something that was a little bit better. And it really wasn't too much. And the idea just stuck in my head that, you know, if 
Oh, one detail I forgot because I was an e-commerce guy back then. At this point, I was working for a company called Taylor Gifts in charge of their e-commerce stuff. So as an e-commerce guy, knowing it was difficult to find good dog beds, I, I just did some research and saw that there was back then about 60,000 people a month searching for dog beds on Google. And I thought, oh, if I could find a way to find better dog beds hmm. and show them to these people that are looking for dog beds, there's probably something there. And I ended up meeting another guy who was in e-commerce who had the same idea. So we just decided to start this business together. Oh, my dog's applied. We both had, you know, full-time jobs. So this was initially a side project mm -hmm. and that's what we did. I mean, he would go to pet trade shows around the country looking for not just dog beds, but other products like uh, bowls and toys and things that you couldn't find at Petco or PetSmart. Um, and so he would do that part and I would do the, the marketing side of it. And within a year, we ranked number one on Google for dog beds. So we were selling just so many dog beds from so many different suppliers. And um, that's what we did from 2006 through early 2012 or so. So with all of this, though, you're finding these dog beds, you're finding things that we couldn't find in pet shops. Were you still not mm -hmm. finding that perfect bed for Hank? Were they just not, you know, up to the task? Yes and no. So I thought I, I did because we were selling beds that were much better than the pet store stuff. Sure. So I kind of, in my mind, we completely uh, surpassed normal pet store beds. So I thought like, okay, we're there. This is, this is doing the trick. But what started the idea for Big Barker came about because I was looking at our customer records, just looking into things that struck my eye. And I saw that there were certain people buying these expensive dog beds more than once. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I'm like, okay, so why would somebody buy a $200 dog bed now and then buy another one 12 months later? Like yeah. that, is it because um, they got new furniture and they wanted to match their color? Is it because the dog chewed the other one up? Or I wonder why that is. So I called a bunch of them on the phone and just said, Hey, I'm, I'm Eric. You bought a, a dog bed from us. You mind if I ask you, you know, why did you buy the second one? And what I started hearing more and more often was, Oh yeah, the other one just fell apart or, Oh yeah, the other one just flattened out or, Oh yeah, the other one just got like a crater in the middle. And I never really connected the dots before that because Hank's beds used to do that too. You'd see this big thing in the middle yep. and you'd replace it. But it never occurred to me that this was like a global problem that big dog owners had until I hopped on the phone and started talking to people. And that was where the idea for Big Parker came into play. So at that point, um, I felt that the other business, its time had kind of was starting to pass. So I ended up uh, selling my interest in that business to my partner and his wife. Um, and I moved on and started Big Barker. You did your research, homie. I did. <laughs> I mean, do you do you think that's a, a key to the success? Because you actually did research, you looked at the numbers, and then you followed up with, you had questions about some of these sales and then a resale, whatever. And do you think that's part of the success here? I think it totally is the main reason for the success, yeah. success because it was just the curiosity to wonder why uncovered this greater problem. And then researching further is like, why does exist? And the reason that problem exists is because most dog beds are made from materials coming straight from China that really aren't meant to hold an 80 pound Labrador on it for 12 hours a day. You know, it's, they're, they're meant for, it's garbage foam or it's like 
the stuff that you find in human pillows, the polyfill stuffing, which is nice and fluffy. And it might be fine for a, a Boston Terrier, but you put a, uh, an 80 pound boxer on it and it's just going to sink right through. Or if it's foam, it's, it's going to start collapsing over time. Okay. How did this process then start? So you're like, okay, we've got to make a better bed. You want to mm -hmm. do it. You want to do it in the USA, mm -hmm. right? Which yeah. mm -hmm. I, I want to talk about that in a second, but do you, you pair up with someone? Like, how does that process start when you're like, okay, we, we've got to make a better bed for big dogs. Yeah. So I had an advantage because I was already in that business for yep. six years. Yep. So I had a number of contacts that already made dog beds um, or were in the foam industry, the furniture industry. So it just started with talking to people that knew what they were talking about. And after kind of getting the general idea, I went to a guy who was a, a, a partner of ours in the old business um, and said, look, here's what I want to do. And this guy was a, he'd been making foam products since the 1970s, all kinds of inventions he's made. And he was my main uh, guy that I went to, to say, here's what I want to do. Can you help me figure out how to do it? And that's what we did. So we kind of developed the product uh, in 2012 and released it around sometime around Thanksgiving of 2012. But I really had no idea it was going to turn into what it did. I thought we were just solving a practical problem, you know, sure. um, beds that don't flatten, you know, you don't have to replace it every year. So it made sense to me, but that wasn't why Big Barker ended up growing. What, well, what was the first response? What were you hearing from those first few customers? The first few customers. So we started off focusing on Amazon instead of our own website. Okay. The first couple of reviews I remember, they were all just overwhelmingly positive. I mean, we had a perfect five-star rating pretty much from day one. So it wasn't that I remember a specific thing people said from the beginning, other than we were getting steady reviews coming in that were overwhelmingly positive. So the kind of things that we ended up hearing were, I don't know if it was in the first couple of reviews, but definitely themes that were early on was, this is so much different than, than my normal dog beds. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, it's so nice to have a bed that flattens out. Or some people would say, it's so nice to have a product that's made in the US. Um, so it's, it was that sort of thing in the beginning. But over time, what started changing uh, in my own mind, it was I was picking up on the reviews that would say things like, not that the bed didn't flatten, but more like I have an older dog and we got the bed and now they're getting up easier in the mornings, or it seems like they're enjoying their walks more. And it was seeing that sort of thing, which got us focused on, huh, okay, this is interesting. What's going on here? And that's when I started researching into canine arthritis. I, I had no idea that arthritis was such a big thing in big dogs when I first started. Um, but it turns out that the main benefit of the bed isn't just that it protects your pocket by not flattening. It's that it actually has a positive quality of life benefit to be for these dogs. A thousand percent. I think what did it for me that really the light bulb went off was the, the whole idea that their joints don't hit the floor with these beds, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So other beds that, and as you probably am sure, I've been through lots of dog beds because I've always had bed chewers as puppies. But what I noticed is that, yeah, their, their joints aren't hitting the floor, not even touching the floor at all. That's a huge selling point for me. Have you laid on it yourself? <laughs> we did. We did. When we got the, when we got the bed, uh, you know, first day, my husband absolutely laid on it and he was like, damn, this is comfortable. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels like you expect a bed to feel like, as opposed to, you know, a standard dog bed feels more like a sleeping bag. Yeah, exactly right. So when you were making these beds, were you laying on all of them, all of like the test products and stuff? <laughs> I did actually. So I, I, <laughs> I set out to prove a point to my, my now ex-wife. Um, <laughs> I said I was going to lay on it. Uh, I was going to lay on the floor. <laughs> I was going to sleep on it overnight. And she's like, you're not going to do that. That's so dumb. Don't do that. And I said, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I did it. And then I did it again the second night. So yeah, I slept on the two bit on, on the giant size bed yeah. uh, two times. Um, but then also I did it again. Um, it last days. That's what we did. I mean, I, I, I bought, I shipped myself some extra beds and, we just stayed, uh, we just had sleepovers for our last four or five nights and, you know, perfectly comfortable. Mm. It's a little shorter than me. I'm six foot two and the bed is five feet long for that giant size. So my legs were hanging off, but otherwise it was, it was pretty comfortable. <laughs> um, you, you froze for just a second there, but you said you and Hank's last few days, you slept on the beds with next to him. Yeah. Cause he couldn't, he couldn't get up anymore. So who Eric yeah. don't man, I don't, know. don't, we can't go there. Um, we won't. yeah, I, I lost, I had to put my dog Mia down in 2018 and you know, it's just, we brought her bed, we pulled it out into the living room and I literally put it on top of me as we're watching movies and stuff. And it, you know, you just, the things you do for your best friends, really. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's. So Hank got to, Hank got to, um, enjoy big Barker beds. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had numerous beds <laughs> all over the place. <laughs> um, what is it about? Because this is really, when I look at the website, it's, it's you and it's Hank, right? Yeah. So like did, did Hank, was Hank really the inspiration for all of this? In a roundabout way. I okay. mean, it's not like, it's not like Hank got a hip diagnosis and I immediately ran to a laboratory and became a mad scientist inventing things out of foam. Like it wasn't like that. It was more about that gradual thing from when the vet saying, make sure he has a good bed to then me seeing it's hard to find a good bed. And then it just so happened that I had the skill set, and I met that partner who had been going to these trade shows where we had the opportunity to sort of bring better dog beds to people. And then through that, we ended up doing big Barker. So it was a gradual, set of incremental steps towards big barker but yeah hank, if 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 hank didn't have a bad hip i would not have been in the dog bed business for the last 14 years oh, hank so yes he was definitely the inspiration uh why was it so important for you to make sure this was a u.s company everything made in the usa period so while the patriotic side is part of it for me it's not the reason why we did it like i'm very the reliability so in talking to the foam experts out there asking hey why do these beds flatten out there's just major concerns that i had as a very small company like a, an infant sized company back then that i was going to rely be able to get reliably produced foam made in China. Now it would be 80% less costly to get it from China. I just didn't trust that I'd be getting good stuff that was reliable, wouldn't flatten and wouldn't have any nasty chemicals in it. I mean, mm. there's been a, there's a study done by this, um, 
organization called the Eco Center out of Michigan. It was about 10 years ago, but they tested uh, dog beds and other dog products looking for nasty chemicals. And in Chinese dog beds, they found arsenic, they found uh, bromide, they found all these chemicals in there. Part of it was in the covers with like flame retardants they were using. Yeah. Um, other stuff was in the foam. Like they're notorious for putting filler in the foam to, to make it way more, um, which makes it go for a higher price. So it's not that all Chinese stuff is bad. I mean, my iPhone comes from China, like a lot of stuff in my house comes from China. So I'm not saying everything in China is bad, but when you're a very small company, and you're buying things from a factory where you're just a little tiny customer of theirs and you don't have a physical presence there. I just had no confidence that I was going to reliably get good stuff. And if I had it made in the USA, I knew who I was buying from. I could see this stuff being made. Um, and I had somebody I could talk to if anybody, if anything went wrong, that was the main reason we did it in the USA. And I knew it was going to cost more. I knew it was going to make a more expensive bed but I wasn't looking to make just another dog bed. I was looking to make the best dog bed. Um, so that's why we made it in the US. Well, also you have working for you the fact that most dog owners will pay pretty much anything for their pups at home. So I think that was probably right. a, definitely a smart move wanting the very, very best. Are you finding now that competition is still crazy with, with products that are coming from, dog products that are coming from China? So I kind of live in my own little dog bed bunker. Um, <laughs> I'm sort of oblivious to to a lot of things that happen in the marketplace outside of dog beds. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of, I don't get too into this, but there's a bunch of companies like who uh, do something called private labeling, which is what happens is a product will get popular, usually on Amazon. And then these factories in China will make stuff that looks like it. And then, people here in the US can buy from these factories, put their own brand name on it, and now they have a new product that looks like a Big Barker bed. And there's at least a dozen different companies that have beds that look like Big Barkers, but they're really just buying pre-made beds coming from a Chinese factory and putting their own brand name on it. It's not a counterfeit product, it's not fraud, it's just a little slimy to me. Um, so you have lots of beds like out there, like that out there, and that is a nuisance, I wouldn't call it Mm -hmm. competition so much mm -hmm. um but yeah that definitely does happen that's a lot slimy ps like a lot slimy in my opinion yeah what do you ask then of your customers when when people are shopping around i mean i'm a review reader are you asking your mm -hmm. customers hey read the reviews it's all right there yeah it's it's read the reviews it's uh, a lot of it too is just like we'll probably talk about the clinical study in a little bit. I mean, that's now part of the equation because we're the only ones that have anything like that. But it's also just kind of, can you trust the company you're buying from? So with Big Barker, like you said, I'm all over the website, Hank's all over the website. You're buying from a real person and it's a small company. There's about 20 of us here in the Philadelphia area uh, that work for Big Barker. And it's just an authentic company with an authentic product. And we also do things like we have a 10 year warranty on the product. We have a one year at home trial, you know, we don't, it's, we know it's an expensive purchase and it's more than most people have spent on a dog bed before. Right. And we know that dogs have their own personalities and not every dog is going to want to sleep on this new bed. It just happens. Hey, I think it's a great bed. You think it's a great bed. Some dogs out there, they might prefer it. Like one of my favorite stories is a, a, a woman in New York in the early days, called me frantically and she's like, I, I have this dog named Duncan. He's in Newfoundland. 
I love his new bed so much, but he just won't get, he just won't stop sleeping in the rock pile. It's like this dog would live in this rock pile in this lady's garden. And that's where he liked to sleep. So she bought this bed. She saved up and bought it, hoping to get him out of the rock pile. Right. And it didn't work. He stayed in the rock pile. And we happily took the bed back and gave her a full refund. I mean, she was so apologetic, but that's the thing. Like some dogs will like to sleep in the rocks or wherever, and they're not going to sleep on the bed. So we will, we never want to keep somebody's money if they don't feel that the bed's actually improving the life of their dog. So that's just something we ask people to look at too is, it really is a risk-free situation. Just try it. If right. your dog loves it, great. If not, it's not going to cost you anything. I don't know. I don't know anything about business, but that just sounds like how you would do business, and that's how you're successful. Whose idea was it to do this clinical study? So that was University of Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, the way that happened, so University of Pennsylvania is an Ivy League school here in Philadelphia. They run Penn Vet, which is one of the top vet schools in the world. And we decided to work with UPenn, not on a clinical study, but on a few other things. So they have this thing called the Working Dog Center in Philadelphia, which is an amazing place where they train um, mostly scent detection dogs. So you have uh, police dogs, but you also have dogs that do things like detect oncoming diabetic uh, incidents in children. Um, we met a dog that can detect cancer cells, which was really cool. So we one of our team members started volunteering there. Like we went there for a tour and he's like, this is so cool. I'm going to volunteer here. Mm. And then he decided he wanted to donate beds for the dogs that are training there every day. So we did that. So now there was 30 or 40, um, those were crate pads uh, that were kept in the crates of these dogs. And then some of the doctors would come and go and ask about them. And then next thing you know, they asked if we would donate beds to that, their vet hospital. So these are for the dogs recovering from surgery, the dogs they were there for long-term care. Mm um dogs in the cancer and oncology departments so we said sure so we donated a bunch of beds uh to the, the vet hospital and that ended up on the news and then they asked if, if we would consider a clinical study they said look some of the doctors here believe that there definitely is a positive quality of life impact these beds will have on dogs with arthritis would you be interested in doing a clinical study and uh i said uh yeah <laughs> sure absolutely so we went down that road it took about three years, but uh, it finally finished up this year. So you have like legit animal doctors going, these beds are making positive influences on these animals that are sick or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So this is one of the top vet schools in the world that ran this pilot study. And what they did is they took 40 dogs and all these dogs, what they had in common, they were all three years or older. They were all 70 pounds or bigger. And they were all had verified diagnosis of arthritis. So that was the, the criteria to be in the study. Right. They took observations of these dogs for seven to 10 days. Um, and then they gave them a big barker bed for four weeks. And they would monitor these dogs once a week for 28 days and see, okay, so what was the difference before and after? And the main things that they saw was that the dogs on average had uh, less joint pain less joint stiffness, improved gait, which is basically like less limping, um, improved joint function and an overall higher quality of life. So yeah, they did see a positive link um, from what the owners reported and from some of the activity monitor data. So we were thrilled to see that. It kind of validated everything we've been doing for the last eight years. Uh, so now that's just another thing that we have that we can show people that says, look, 
can't guarantee it's going to make your dog um, all of a sudden start jumping around like a puppy, but there's definitely evidence here that it does have a positive impact. That's validation with a capital V right there. Yeah. That's huge. Agreed. I'm, I'm sure that yeah. just made you feel incredible. Like these beds are changing doggy lives. Exactly. Because we would hear it from in the reviews and hear it from customers and that right. feels great. And veterinarians would say, yeah, we believe that too. That's, that makes sense to us. And we like that. And we had, you know, veterinarians recommended the beds, but it was getting that clinical study from an Ivy league school that really was the cherry on top for us. Amazing. Well, I do want to wrap up just a little bit, but is there anything in the future for Big Barker? Are you guys working on anything else? Are you just sort of staying focused on dog beds and, and crate pads, things like that? So in the beginning, Big Barker was going to be a brand that started with dog beds and then moved on to other categories, like maybe travel equipment, maybe toys, but all mm -hmm. things focused on big dogs. But once we realized that, oh, there's an arthritis issue that these beds are helping remedy, I did, and that was probably back in 2013, I decided, nope, Big Barker is beds. That's what we do. We do beds and that's it. We're not getting into any other products because these beds solve a need uh, and we're able to do this better than anybody else. So we're just going to keep drilling deep into this. Um, also, I just want to mention if anyone needs a little bit of a perk in their day to follow Big Barker on Instagram. <laughs> the pictures are awesome. Yeah. And if you like reading, Twitter's good too. Um, that's where Amanda on our team just finds good news stories about dogs. So it's just like good dog, good news all day long. Oh man, that's the best. That's right up my alley. But yeah, really cute pictures of dogs on their beds. These are from real owners and on Instagram and you said Twitter too. So we, we love, we love cute dog pictures and cute dog stories around here. So we'll take it. Um, well, Eric Shannon, uh, let's get to the final three best advice you've ever been given. So the best advice I ever get isn't a specific quote from a specific person. It's just the idea that we kind of touched on earlier, which is um, that phrase you heard a million times where if you, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And that's really the best thing. And that's when we talked about when I quit my job, I'm like, wow, I'm really obsessing over this internet stuff. Why don't I just do that? And I quit my job and was making almost no money for a while, but that was cool because I had a reason to get up every day. It was something I was fascinated with. So that's the best advice I've ever taken. And that really led you down the path the, that you're on now. If, if that didn't happen, I'd probably working somewhere for a bank in some job I hated trying to get people to move their investment money over from one company to another, which makes no difference Blech. at the end of the day. Exactly. Barf. Um, yes. What's your happy place? Happy place is a place called Marsh Creek Lake in Downingtown, Pennsylvania, which is just a place I like to go kayak fishing. Nice. Nice. And yeah. you know, I didn't ask you this earlier. Do you have dogs now? Do you have a dog now? I do. I have a one and a half year old German shepherd named Spike. Spike. How, yeah. how is Spike one and a half? So he's still a puppy. He's yeah, he's kind of a teenager uh, nowadays, but he's a very, very good dog. Very well behaved for the most part. Do you see yourself always having dogs in your life? I went about a little over a year, probably close to a year and a half after Hank passed away. So there was a point in time where I wasn't sure if I wanted to, but then I hit a certain point. Um, where I was ready. So yes, I think I will always, there might be small periods where I don't, but sure. I can't imagine a long period. And I'm fairly certain I know the answer to this. Why did you go that, was Hank, losing Hank pretty devastating? And that's why you waited? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it was not only devastating, but 
you feel like, would I be dishonoring Hank by getting another dog? Like you feel like, am I replacing him? Yeah. And that doesn't feel right. And that is certain. And I felt like that for probably close to a year. Um, and then eventually my mindset changed and I was ready. For sure. No, I've gone through that. And to the point where you go pick up the new puppy and I'm bawling my eyes out in the car because I'm just like, oh no, I hope, you know, I hope, I hope my other dog doesn't feel like I'm replacing her. So I totally get that, man. It's, I think everybody does. So, and everybody yeah. is their own, you know, if, if it's a month or if it's a year, or if it's two years, I think everybody has their own kind of own idea of when they get that next dog. So yeah, sorry, absolutely. we went on a little bit of a tangent. I apologize. Um, okay. Last question. Uh, final meal, final drink. What would that look like? So are they both at the same time? It, whatever you want. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. It's your last day, your last meal, whatever. All right. So I'm going to go with this, even though I don't think it's going to pair well together necessarily. <laughs> the final drink would definitely be a beer. The, the beer I like right now, it's, it's pumpkin beer season. So I like uh, Pumpkin by Southern Tier. Okay. I like, and I, again, I don't think it'll pair well, but I'd have to go with Beefaroni. I got to go with Chef Boyardee. <laughs> have to. I love Chef Brady. I don't eat it very often. I only eat it when I'm sick. So as soon as I feel the sniffles, I rush to a 7-Eleven and I buy like two cans of beefaroni and a thing of orange. <laughs> Chef Boyardee? Are yeah, you serious? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's totally unhealthy. I like it because you can swallow the noodles without chewing them. <laughs> and, it, and when you're sick and you have like a, a, a swollen throat, it feels nice. Uh, and I have good memories of my, my Italian aunt Kathleen just being so disgusted that I used to like Chef Boyardee. She almost vomited in her mouth when I'm... I'm a, I'm a little disgusted, but um, <laughs> hey, it's your final meal. It's whatever you want. I don't think yeah, anyone has said Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Maybe I'll start a trend then. <laughs> probably not. Also, mm. just want to throw this out there. If you're a beer fan, you know, Oregon, where I live, we have mm -hmm. amazing beer. Just saying. I, I've been to Portland once, mm -hmm. a buddy of mine's bachelor party. That's where he wanted to go to, just to do beer tours. So yes, lots of fantastic beer in Portland. A lot. In fact, it, it'll turn you into a beer snob if you live here for a certain amount of time. Uh, Definitely. Eric, you have been absolutely fascinating and interesting. I am so happy you and whoever your team created this idea of big Barker beds because I mean, my dogs love them, but beyond that, it is obvious that they're changing doggy lives. And that just warms my heart a thousand times. Yeah, it's been a great experience for me as well. So I'm, 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 I'm happy you had me on. I'm glad, uh, glad we got to talk today. And of course, just as we're saying, did you see that? The screen went black because the battery's low. It's back now. So we need to just say goodbye before technology takes over this entire interview. Um, Eric Shannon, thank you so, so much. If you want to watch this podcast, you can do so at ktvl.com or on YouTube. Just search for Offscript with Trish Glose. And um, the audio is pretty much wherever you like to listen to your podcast. One more time, Eric Shannon, owner of Big Barker Real Beds for Big Dogs. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.